Welcome to Keeping It Real, where we talk business, money, and mindset. Welcome back, everybody, to the Keeping It Real podcast. I'm your host, Parikshit, and today I got a special guest with me. His name is Iman Godzi. He's from you know, he's an entrepreneur from London, founder of Grow Your Agency, IAG Media, and Godzi Clothing. His mission is to reform the education system, which we're going to talk about because I'm really excited to talk about that. And he's also using his platform and his education company, Grow Your, Grow Your Agency, to build schools in Nepal. He also recently released a short film on YouTube. Definitely go check it out after this podcast. Anyways, Iman, welcome to the podcast, bro. Thanks so much for having me, dude. Awesome. Awesome. I gave you a you know, brief introduction, but definitely go ahead and I guess like introduce yourself or Tell the people in detail what you do and your story, I guess, you know, your journey from starting out in entrepreneurship to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, um, to be honest, your intro was very, very kind. <laughs> I think it was um, definitely, uh, you know, definitely a little excessive, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm just a, a nerd who, who's built a couple of businesses. Um, so I like, I like similar to you, I like building things, but, um, right. you know, my start kind of, I mean, I've, I've kind of been, had that entrepreneurial flair from the age of 14, which to be honest, I will say is I think a lot older than most people. I think like most people are like five or six and do the right, whole like right. candy thing or like the lemonade stand. Like, you know, for me, it was a little, late, a little later on in life. So that was actually when I was uh, 14. And uh, I remember for some reason I just started, um, there's an account, it's still up actually, it's called a uh, Fakak the Norm, like FCK <laughs> the Norm. Uh, and you know, I've always been like into writing um, and reading. I started reading at a very early age, um, you know, by like seven or eight, I was reading like wow. the Dickens works and like Mayor of Casterbridge and this and that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess I just started reading from a very early age. Um, right. And that kind of parlayed into um, writing a lot. So I, when I was 14, I started just, and I would have all these thoughts and I kind of journal down and, you know, uh, this is also kind of where my copywriting style comes from. Uh, Cause you can, you can see back when I was like, this is right, literally right. age 14. You can look at some of the early posts. Um, I would just like do like a daily kind of journal entry or whatever is on my mind. And I kind of grew that account to 25, 30 K. And I remember one day I get a message from someone and like, Hey, um, I'd like to buy your account. How much? And I was like, I've had a couple moments of that in my life where they're like, right, where right. I've had people come to me and be like, how much? And, you know, that will tie in later on in the story. And like, you know, your, that your world kind of opens up at that point. Right. So, so yeah, no, I mean, world opens up when you, when you get that question and how much, mm -hmm. um, and that, that kind of pulled me into the world of like Instagram, like growing Instagram accounts, uh, selling promotions on there. And like, I don't know if you remember 2000, 2000, uh, 2013, 2014 was kind of the rise of influencer marketing. Like right. that's kind of like where movement built to like a hundred million. I remember like I was in telegram groups with like the owners of like movement and like um, all these like watch companies and like jewelry companies. And you know, they basically used influencer marketing uh, to grow their companies. And I was in these telegram groups. So I would basically, I was selling a couple promotions on that account. And then from there I used that money to buy my first account. And then from there I, you know, Right. Growing Instagram accounts back then was a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and then I grew those accounts and let's say for example, the account was like a Porsche 911, like or a Porsche, it's Porsche specific like fan page. Right. I would actually right. rebrand it to general luxury niche. You know, I'd lose some followers. Um, I'd lose some followers. I'd lose some engagement from those hardcore fans, but that meant that like it had more mass appeal. And that also meant that I could make more money from um, uh, 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 paid promotions and stuff like that. I'd make some money from there, continue to grow the account and then sell it for three, four times what I made. It, it, it's literally like flipping a house, you know, like flipping right. a house, you know, buying Instagram house. accounts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like buying a, um, a house from a motivated seller uh, that's below market. So, you know, you've got a good deal from there, kind of fixing up a little from there, renting it, getting some cash flow there, and then eventually going on to sell for profit. So that's basically what I did with Instagram accounts. Um, and that lasted for like, nine, eight, nine months, but then it got super, super saturated, like to the point where there was literally like zero money in it. Um, so from there, uh, I kind of just let off it. And this is when I was like 14, 15. And at that point I knew I didn't want to go to college. Um, I kind of knew that from the age of like 14, but I was like, okay, I still gotta, you know, get decent grades or like, you know, not totally piss off my mom. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, from there I was like, all right, whatever, I'll put my head down and, and study a little more. Um, all while this time was happening, I was still reading a book a week. I was at that point starting to go to the gym. 
meditating every day. Um, and you know, in the same way, some people have like gym splits, like I had a meditation split. So it'd be like, oh, wow. it'd be like Kundalini meditation one day and then Vipassana. And like one of the beautiful things about like the age of like 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, eight, like sort of that, those teenage years, um, especially cause I had nothing in my life. Like I didn't really have anything notable or going for me or this or that is like, I just read a bunch of books and I just did exactly what they said. You know, like for me at this point in life, it's different when I read a book and then I'm like, okay, should I try this? Should I implement that? You know, back then it was just like, okay, well, I, I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to, if they tell me to meditate, I'm just going to meditate. If they tell me to go to the gym, I'm going to go to the gym. If they tell me to read a book, I'm going to read a book a week. Like, so, you know, from there, I actually started going to the gym a lot. And then that kind of parlayed into, um, I would PT my friend's parents and like whenever right. I was over the, at their houses, like I would just try to, and I was, I guess the, the beginning of my salesmanship skills, like I would just literally try to sell their parents on PT services. Um, and I did that for like a solid, like nine, eight, nine months again. Um, and then as I was starting to go more to the gym and whatnot, I actually started just making some videos of me going to the gym and, you know, I started a YouTube channel, basically just like documenting like me going to my, you know, the used bookstore on Sunday, like me, what I was eating, like the books I was reading, podcasts I was listening to, like just a bunch of like, and I've still got them up. Like a lot of people, um, you know, they find it very like entertaining to go look back at like 2015, 2016. Cause I literally have vlogs of me and it's like, I'm just, you know, on the tube going to like Brixton on a Sunday. Cause that's where, you know, my favorite used bookstore is. And I can get like five used books for the price of one new book. And like, it's just like, I don't know, you can kind of see where like my entire, um, you know, where everything that I have now, the, the nucleus of all of that. Um, so yeah, uh, you, because I was uh, doing all this fitness stuff and I decided to start like recording it and sharing it naturally, I got it, uh, I got into like photo video and my background is actually in photo video. Um, and as I was doing that, I would start doing some free shoots for people. And then that kind of led to working with some companies and some brands. And this was around like 2016 time, mid 2016. And that led to my first ever agency client, which was August of 2016, uh, which was my old football club actually. And it was 380 pounds a month. Um, and I did 380 cause I charged them weekly cause I thought it sounded cheaper. Um, and I, and I didn't want to do a hundred a week. So I did 95. So it came out to 380 pounds a month and that was for 30 Instagram posts, 30 unique Instagram posts, three unique Facebook posts, four YouTube videos. And I had to shoot, edit, distribute all those and grow all the social platforms is nuts. Um, like it was basically like working like a minimum wage job, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, I thought I was totally rich at that point. And that, you know, when I signed that first I didn't realize that I had like an SMMA or like an agency or like anything like, like, you know how like now it's, it's a thing. I was just like, okay, I'm just delivering a service to someone in return for financial compensation. You know, like that was, right. a, that was all it was to me. What the fuck? Um, and you know, from there, I didn't think much of it. I, I started, I was like, look, I've done this once. I'm going to try and go and, and do it a few more times. And there's a, a video on my YouTube where I look through old proposals and I was around that from that first client to the second client. Like I look over old proposals and it's, it's just hilarious to look back now. Um, but yeah, from there I started signing a try or attempting to uh, sign more retainer clients. Uh, and it took me a while. It took me six months uh, before I signed my second client. And that was like life changing. That was 1900 pounds a month. So like $2,500. Um, which I mean, these days, like, I mean, you know, better than anyone else, like for an agency client, that's like pretty bulk standard. Right. Um, you know, it's nothing shout, but at that point, like I thought I was rich. Um, and I remember I signed three clients in a week. So it was 1900 and the second client was 750 pounds. And then the next one was 1500 pounds. So, you know, it was just, it was nuts. And I always say, you know, when it rains, it pours and we all have that thing where, you know, we have that one week where like one shit thing happens and then cons- it's like bad things. You're like, how is this week so bad? Like it just consecutively, you just get bad things happen to you <clears throat> in the same way. Uh, you know, in the same way you have those weeks where you're just like, why am I getting so many blessings? And it's just, you know, it, it comes down to that, that concept of when it rains, it pours and that applies positively and negatively. So, um, yeah, that was, that was March of 2017. And then from there, I just started scaling my, my agency. And back then it was a creative agency and it was awesome. Cause I was 17. Also around this time I, I dropped out of high school. Um, well, was it the same week when you signed those clients that you dropped out or was it a little later on? 
No. So my rule to myself was that I would get, you know, for me, it wasn't a rash decision. Like, uh, I signed those clients first and then I was like, okay, look, I know that I have these clients on board now. Uh, I know that at that point I was making, uh, between those three clients, that would have been, uh, right around $5,000. Um, and I knew that I, that was safe enough for me to leave. And I knew there was something that I wanted to do. Um, and at that point I was also supporting my mom. Um, so it was just kind of, uh, you know, I, I've had a bunch of people be like, you know, how the hell did you, were you allowed to leave school? You know, for me, it was, I've always financially supported myself since I was like 15. Um, and you know, was supporting my, my mom too. So it's, I was, I guess I was in a unique position where like, uh, you know, it, there was a lot of, a lot of fights for a long time with her, but, um, I guess at the end of the day, it, it kind of came down to, she can't really say anything. I was making my own money and, and supporting her at the same time. Um, so yeah, that was, that was nuts. And from there I kind of kept that momentum going and I was able to get hit 15, 20 K months. And I was just literally just me, myself and I, um, and that was awesome. You know, 17 dropping out of high school. Like everyone thinks that you're blowing your life away, all this stuff, you know, getting to a point where you're, you know, you're making 15, 20 K a month. You're finally traveling. You're doing th- all the things that you want to like, took my mom to Paris. She'd been want, she'd never been in her entire life, like wanted to go like, you know, finally starting like treat my friends who were there for me when I had nothing, like just all this really cool stuff. But the main problem that I had, and I think now I could have a creative agency because we, you know, I have some of my students who are doing 50, 60, 70 K a month profit from their creative agencies. So you can't structure it the right way. I just didn't know how to I had very janky foundations. So I was making, you know, good money, but the issue was like, it felt like I was just, I had like multiple bosses. Like my, my clients were literally my bosses and it felt like I wasn't a respected business owner. And it was always that, that friction of like, okay, this is, this is great, but what's the return on investment? And I didn't really have a way to quantify it. Um, so from there, I kind of knew that I had to, you know, I just knew based on my personality, which is like, I'm very abrasive. Uh, I'm very black and white. And like, even to the state, people are like, I don't know how you get away with what you get away with, with your clients. Um, and once again, that's because I'm very selective with my clients. I have my business structure in the right way. And it's like, I don't know if a client doesn't like me, you know, if a client doesn't like me, all right, cool. <clears throat> we make you 50 grand a month return on ad spend. So, you know, bye-bye. I still like, I, I really couldn't give less of shit. Um, but it take, it, it took me a long while to get to that point, you know, Back in 2017, even though I was making 15, 20 grand a month, my clients had my personal phone number. They would call me, you know, all this like stuff that I tell people in gradiency. I'm like, look, I, I say this stuff because I've been through, I've been through the ringer. I've been through it all. You know, I've been through having uh, calls from clients at, at midnight. I've been through, you know, a client is fucking 27 days late on an invoice and you've already done the work. You know, these days like I bill and then it's the 30 days before I would do the work. And then at the end of the month I would, and then invoice. And that puts you in a really uncomfortable situation because you've already done the work. Uh, and then, you know, you have a client who's 27 days late on an invoice. Um, and you know, I had no auto billing then and just, just a whole nightmare thing. Um, so I, I, you know, I just realized based on my personal personality, I wanted to uh, pivot. So I went through like a four or five month period where I was doing Facebook ads and, um, um, uh, doing the social content editing and that sort of stuff for clients. The issue with that is I would have these pretty, pretty solid retainers of like 1500, 2000, 2500 pounds a month, uh, with these clients. And I actually lost them because I didn't have any experience with Facebook ads. So I would basically upsell my existing clients on Facebook ads for a really tiny fee. And then when I wasn't getting them results, that started to creep doubt and suspicion into my other service stuff. Um, so I just had a bit of a nightmare with that. And, you know, it took a, I'd say a solid nine months, 12 months to really dial it in. Uh, and then I'd say April slash May of 2018 was really when things just clicked with the agency. Um, only started working with info product clients, uh, later on started working with some e-commerce businesses, but pretty much only info product clients. Um, you know, started auto billing, started doing three month minimums, uh, just all the, you know, the hygiene standard stuff that I tell people these days, but you know, back then was not, you know, that's when I created the onboarding funnel, um, that, you know, is like fucking every, everyone uses now. Um, you know, all the stuff that seems obvious now. Uh, but to me back then it was like, that's, that was what I made quantum shifts, um, in my agency. So yeah, it's been, a little over two years. Um, and the agency is just 
continued to surprise and shock me. Uh, 2019, we were able to hit our first 100K month profit, um, which was like, I, I don't know, I never thought I could do that, uh, especially because it's considering last year it was just me, Danny, and like Kieran, but really he's the product manager for uh, Career Agency. So like it's 30% of his time. So really it's just me and, and one team member uh, full time, um, you know, managing nine, that month it was nine, nine clients, I believe. And granted, I did do a two day uh, training then, a two day webinar build, but still nonetheless, you know. 100K, um, you know, me and one employee, um, I, that was a, a ceiling that I didn't think I could break. Uh, and then now this year I have Luis as well. So we're going for our first 150K a month profit. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been my, my story. Oh, and along that's the way, right. I, I, I started that's great. Right. Along the way, I started great and built some schools in Nepal and started a clothing line. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's awesome what you've been able to do with the agency. And like you said, even with the onboarding funnel, you know, you've influenced a lot of the, I say the SMMA community, because I think a lot of uh, things that you kind of, you kind of, you know what I mean? Like if you go to anyone's case study funnel or onboarding funnel is basically yours <laughs> more at times. Right. Um, and also it's so funny hearing you say that when you were younger, you know, you were, you were like into like, I guess advanced literature and that explains all the, that explains the copywriting skills, that explains the mm -hmm. copywriting skills. But while you were transitioning from being like a broke kid to someone who's like slowly making money and like actually being known in your city, right? How did that affect your relationship with the ones around you? Um, I think it was, you know, I, I think if you genuinely have good people around you and they've seen the work that you've put in it, it you know, I've been very lucky to have very, very supportive and amazing people around me. And it's, it, I think there was never that, um, you know, I think these days, a lot of people come into my life, um, or see me and they're like envious or they're, you know, they're spiteful or they're jealous or this, that. And it's like, I, I get it. Like, you, you know, you don't, you haven't seen everything that's gone into this. Um, whereas when you're a personal friend of mine and you've, you've 30, 40, 50 times, you've been like, no, 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 come out, come out. No, no, no. And I'm just like, no, no, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't, I have to work or you've seen the personal sacrifices. Like, you know, when I was in school, basically because I was in school and I was trying to build my agency at the same time, I used to wake up go to school. And you know, this is something that people always find hilarious. Um, I actually used to meditate in my school bathrooms, uh, during lunch breaks, um, because I knew that I couldn't wait meditate in the morning cause I was too exhausted. And then when I got back from a uh, school, that's when I would do my, I, I would try to get a bunch of work done and then I would go to the gym. Right. And then I come back and I do more work. And I knew that like basically that was the best time in the day to meditate. Um, otherwise I would literally just pass out. I was just so exhausted. I was working, I was sleeping three, four hours uh, a night, which by the way, I, you should not wear as a badge of honor. Like I sleep seven and a half, preferably nine hours a day. And you know, if I can sleep nine hours a day, I, I guarantee you can sleep nine hours a day. It was just big school, um, you know, school, gym, reading a book a week, trying to build this business, all this stuff. Um, so I guess my point is, uh, for the ones around me, it was, uh, I think, I think they were proud. Um, I think it's different. You know, these days I know people look at me and you know, people who don't know me look at me and you know, I'm sure they think 101 different things and I, I don't blame them. Um, but I think when you have literally witnessed firsthand, like the struggle and pain that someone's gone through to get through where they are, um, you know, you, you can't help but respect it. That's true, bro. That's true. Cause I think a lot of people, like you said, are envious cause they don't really see the process. They don't know all the times that you probably in high school, you didn't even have fun at all. You know what I mean? They don't probably know about that <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, I know you said that you started your agency out of like desperation, not inspiration, but when, when was it in your agency journey when you started like, you know, truly falling in love with the process and it was more about like building a business rather than making money. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it was around that April, May, uh, June, 2018, um, portion. Cause that's when like I started looking at it and I'm like, let me go into the client shoes and let me go into the client shoes and ask myself, like, how would I want a service provider to act towards me? Right. And you know, I have very, very strong boundaries with my clients If my client, like, first of all, I don't give my number to any of my clients, but like if my clients emailed me, I wouldn't respond. Um, like if my client does anything outside of messaging me on Slack, I won't respond. And I tell them in the onboarding, it's your fault. 
Um, you know, I have very stringent, and to be honest, I never, uh, I was actually at a client check-in call right before this just because I had a bit of extra time, but like 95% of client check-in calls, I'm not there, clients never care. I have very strong boundaries, but on the flip side, I'm always, always thinking, how can I make the client experience? You know, how can I, I talk about this a lot? Uh, um, sparking client delight. And I think, you know, for the first, from August of 2016, when I signed that first client to, um, you know, uh, May of, uh, yeah, August of 2016 to May of 2018, you know, almost two years, it was all about like, how can I make more? How can I, this, like, it was never like, how can I actually, spark client light. And it was all about me. It was, it was never about them. And I think, you know, making that shift, um, and, you know, building things like the onboarding and building things like the client Bible, which we have a 2.0 now, um, and, and our, you know, our reporting and think about like communication and, and how to make all that more streamlined. And just even little things like, you know, in our onboarding, we ask clients their personal address and we send them a gift. Um, you know, just, just doing all this sort of stuff. I, I think just, I'd say that was, that was probably the biggest shift. That's lovely because I think it's such a beautiful thing to see. I think with entrepreneurs, especially when it goes from, you know, Oh, doing this to make money to, Oh, you know what? I can actually build something great out of this. Let me focus on this. Like dropshippers actually starting proper brands or people who are just selling services, you know, start proper agencies that they can eventually sell at the end. And, um, yeah, I like that you touched on that. Um, next, I kind of wanted to touch on grow your agency and, you know, your whole mission. And I know this is something that's very important and personal to you. Um, I wanted to ask, like, what does education mean to you as, you know, your mission is to reform the education system? Yeah, education to me is the, you know, education to me is literally the solution to everything that we have around us. I think we are on the precipice of, um one of the scariest times in, in human history. Um, I, I, to me, and by the way, education to me doesn't mean like what you learn at school. Like to me, education is like education around your health, around your mental health. Like, you know, when I talk about education, I want someone to be well-educated and understand things like, like I want people to be well-educated on the pharmaceutical industry. I want people to be well-educated on mental health. I want people to be well-educated on like sexual energy. I want people to be well-educated in accounting. I, like I want people like to me, I want education to come back to this uh, place of like practicality. Um, whereas right now education is not meant to, education is not meant to free you. It's meant to enslave you. And you know, for me, that's what grow agency is all about. Like at the end of the day, I have an agency program. Like our, our, our program better than nothing else out there um, shows people how to build a business that makes 10 K a month profit. Right? right. And that's agency incubator. And we have some higher level students in copy paste agency offices, you know, uh, and you know, some of our, our higher level students, uh, you know, have a couple of students doing over a hundred grand a month. That's profit. You know, many people will show a half a million a month in revenue and this and that. And their Shopify dashboard. <laughs> you know, but that, that's a very different reality to right, you know, right. what are you actually keeping at the end? Um, and you know, that was always the goal, but yet, although I'm talking about that stuff, you know, it, although it's, it's a business program and it's a, it's a sales, it's a service delivery, it's an operations, it's an accounting program. Like I go in detail on things like company culture. I go in detail on things like sleep, biohacking. Like I talk about like your gut microbiome. I talk about like how to manage the relationships around you, all the stuff that seemingly has literally no um, direct, uh, link to building a business is literally the most important stuff. And, you know, even just things in terms of, um, I mean, there's 50, actually I'd say 80% of stuff that I want to talk about. I can't, um, you know, uh, and I'm slowly starting to drip feed it more and more. Um, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of stuff out there, you just can't talk about. It's too touchy of a subject. Sure. But even if I can just do my little part in, you know, <clears throat> Yes, you know, yes, what Gruency does uh, best and, and better than anyone else out there is help uh, people build a business that does 10K a month profit, 50K a month profit, 100K a month profit. Not only do I want to do that in our programs and, you know, in, in the Gruency programs, like my goal is also through my teaching is to make sure that you are a person of character once you have that sort of wealth, that you are, um, you know, you hold yourself to a high standard, that you know how to deal with that wealth, how to deal with others around you once you have that wealth, how to invest that wealth, how to um, deal with your mental health once you have that sort of uh, wealth and burden. Um, 
and, and just everything in between. I mean, some of the, uh, you know, Q and A's people ask, you know, cause I'm, I'm an open book. You know, people have asked me about 101 different topics. Um, and as I said, I do as much research and digging on all the stuff outside of the business, just as much as I do inside the business. That's what I love about your course or, you know, the programs that you put out. And I think you're not just focusing on like the technical, like ROI, KPIs, but it's like things that are applicable outside of business. And if you were to transition that into any other business, it could still be applicable, you know? And that's, that's the main thing I wanted to do is at the end of the day, you might come into agency life and after six months decide that it's not for you. Or you might use it. I, I have a lot of people who, you know, end up making 20K a month from their agency and they know that they're only going to do it for two, three years because it's a stepping stone to then going out and, you know, creating their own clothing line, you know, which I have my own clothing line because they know how to market now. Um, or they use it as a stepping stone to then become a real estate investor, whatever it is that you want to do. But my point is, my goal is no matter what, if you come into the program and into the teaching, I don't want you to come out as a one trick pony. I want you to know about the difference between cash and accrual accounting. I want you to know about sales. I want you to know about operations, hiring, company culture, all this stuff. Let's say, let's strip away the result. Let's say you don't even get any agency clients. I want you to be a person of um, character, of value, and be a, a just a incredible all round entrepreneur. Even if later down the line, you decide that you want to take those skill sets and apply it to something else as you said, like, that's the main thing that I want is like, I want, I don't want you to be a one trick pony because there's, there's plenty of one trick ponies out there. I want you to be a real well-versed entrepreneur. And I think you built like the right community. Um, a quick example is like, I didn't even ask a question. Someone just thought it was me and reached out to me saying, Hey bro. And he just answered that question. I was like, I didn't ask that question, bro. He's like, Oh, Oh snap. You know, but like that just shows you the type of people that you've kind of, I guess the community that you've breeded, you know, all encouraging everyone, helping each other. And it's just awesome to see. And I think another thing about grow your agency is what you're doing with Nepal. You know what I mean? Like, that's really cool because even with me, like a personal experience wise, like when I saw that to me, that really changed a lot of my long-term goals and made me reevaluate my life and like what I want to do in the future. And like, you know, in the in the upcoming future after COVID is over, like that's what we're trying to do. Me and my friends that also owns the agency here, you know? So like not only have you influenced us in the business side, but also something that's way bigger that can impact not only, you know, forget the ROI, the KP, all this marketing nerd talk. It's like something bigger than us, you know? And Mm. which is what I love. And I guess to just touch on that point, most kids our age that make a lot of money, they're out here buying Lambos, drifting designer, lavish lifestyle. What what led you to the moment to say, you know what, we're going to build schools in Nepal? And why Nepal? I'm curious too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, here's the thing. First of all, like, you know, first of all, I, 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 I've never been too much into like the designer stuff, this, that, like, I, you know, obviously as you know, fashion and clothing is very, um, close to my heart. Um, so I spend a lot on fashion. I really like, uh, uh, fashion, uh, brands. I just like very low key ones. Um, so one thing I will say is never, ever, a berate or judge someone for, um, you know, spending money on hoodies and this and that, or like buying a Lambo when they are self-made. And this is a, you know, cause I even remember early on, like judging other people or this or that. Um, cause that's like someone's like, ba- like battle scars. Like, you know, I, I realized that when, you know, when you, when you get told by so many people that, you know, you're never going to make it in this and that there, there is, you know, I, I think, um, I think you got to have like 10% of pettiness. I think you got to leave 10% of pettiness. I think a good, a, a little amount of pettiness is good. Um, but, but you know, for me, it's always been like, I, I don't want stuff in my life that, uh, adds stress. Um, so, you know, uh, a lot of people know that I'm very into my watches cause those are fine. I can put those in my vault in my safety deposit box, uh, at the bank and, you know, those can chill for six months and I don't need to worry about it. Whereas like a supercar, you got to pay insurance and this and that and all that stuff. So, um, you know, for me in my life, um, you know, I have things that I spend a lot of money on that I have sp- things that I don't spend money on. And I have things that I like reassess all the time. Um, you know, even just, uh, after Nepal, I decided, uh, you know, I'm only flying economy because there's certain things you do. Um, once you start making a certain amount of money, I'm like, ah, okay. I make a certain amount of money. I don't, you know, a person of my money, of course, flies business or like flies first. Like it was just, it was so insignificant to my level of income that I was like, ah, of course you just do this. And then, you know, you later down the line, you start to reflect and you're like, ah, like what is actually important to me in life? Um, 
and there's things that I've acknowledged are really important and things that aren't. Um, and you know, that's kind of my philosophy around like spending and whatnot. Now, when it comes to charity, um, for me, it was something that I've been wanting to do for forever. Um, and I wanted to have a, you know, before this all star, I wanted to have a company that have full circle approach because yes, we, you know, if you have a computer and a laptop and Wi-Fi and like all of your, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like all your other basic needs are met, you know, and you feel safe, secure, and you have a home and this and that. Um, I don't think you should get a formal education. Like I think you will, unless you want to become a doctor or this or that, but like, you know, if you want to become an entrepreneur, formal education around is definitely not the way to go. But, and you know, that's awesome. We built great agency for that, but I always wanted to, have a full circle approach. And you know, uh, for me, it was always like, that's cool. But what are you doing for the people who don't even have a seat at the table? And it's incredible that we're, you know, we're really in- innovating and, and moving the needle forward. And, you know, it, it's still so insignificant, you know, cause I even get people that are like, ah, you, you say you're reforming the education system, blah, blah, this, that, like it's, it's, Etc. Etc. I'm like, got like guys. I, trust me. I I know that like it, what I'm doing is so insignificant, but it's you know it's. A, I have a five decade plan, you know, and I'm only you're two twenty. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm I'm two, I'm two years in. You know, I'm I'm chipping away at it day by day. But you know, um, that's amazing. But as I said, I wanted to do something for the people who don't have a seat at the table. Um, and it's incredible that we're innovating in terms of self-education, but I, there's a place for formal education. I'm not against formal education. Uh, for example, for the kids in Nepal, um, all of the work, you know, all, all of these kids, especially in these villages, they just end up going to different countries. And then, you know, uh, these communities are, are, are tarnished and, and wrecked. And, you know, the, the longevity and the health of a community is a hundred percent based on the quality of education they have. And I, you know, I know that, and that's one of the big focuses that we have in terms of not only building these schools, but once again, just incentivizing people to stay and giving people a clear path to a solid job. So that way they don't go to, um, you know, Qatar or something and, and, you know, work in slave like conditions. Um, so yeah, that is why, you know, I take a, a considerable amount of my profits from gradients and, and use that to build schools in Nepal. Uh, now as to your question of why Nepal, um, to be honest, I want to build schools in Nepal. I want to build schools in Colombia or Russia. It, for me, it's about the organization. You know, I, I know that a lot of people out there will just, you know, write a check to the red cross and you know, that's it. They consider themselves a good person. Like I like the, you know, if I'm donating hundreds of thousands of, of my own personal money, of my pocket money um, to building schools in a, uh, building schools or some sort of charity. Like I want a MOU. I want a, a breakdown line by line of where that money is going. And I want to make sure it's going in the right place and it's as high impact as possible. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons that I said that I don't fly first or business anymore. Like I would rather just sit in an economy and for that same price that I saved on business or first, I can build a, uh, you know, a couple solar panels at one of my schools. And once again, this just uh, builds into that whole idea of like this, these self-sustaining communities. Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Oh, that was beautiful. And everybody listening, I think you guys should definitely check out the documentary. We will, we will even link it down below. I even got some flashbacks. It's actually like, I, I was there for like nine years of my life. So when they're playing the drums, I was like, oh my God, I remember that. And even growing up in a village, it was, it was really cool. And I'm curious as to like, I know you talked about, you know, the change of business and economy that like you made that change. Were, were there other like big drastic change in your life after that trip to Nepal? Um, I think... As I said, I, I think it did make me look at like just certain aspects of my spending. Um, and, and also I think, I don't know, I, th- I think when Nepal, it was, it was just incredible for the team. Um, I, I, I don't know. The, the thing is that there's so much stuff that, that just sounds so cliche. Um, but the other main takeaway is just, I don't know, you, you know, when you look at someone and you just see pure joy, and, you know, especially when you're, you know, like I have the world at my fingertips and I have all this stuff and all this like material possession and all of these like opportunities and this and that. And like, 
if, if we take the ratio, like what makes a good life? To me, it's a good life is a happy life filled with meaning, right? And if we take the ratio that, you know, these people in Nepal and everyone that we came in contact with, um, and that was the children as well as the elders and, you know, everyone in between. If, if we look at, you know, the ratio that they were happy and joyful and this and that, and you compare it to someone like me, you know, I, I, I guess it made me look in the mirror and go like, do I really have that great of a life? Like, do I, you know, like, what is this all for if I'm not living every single moment with joy and whether through the good, through the bad, um, instead it just, uh, it makes you reconsider, um, and it makes you reflect on all those times where you're grumpy for no reason, or you take a small thing and you, you, uh, you know, you minimize in on a small issue and, and you extrapolate that and, you know, build these narratives in your head and all this and that. And, you know, it, it really, um, I think it really grounds you. Right. Right. I tell people if they're depressed, like, you know, fly to a third world country and like don't live like a tourist. And they will like, I, I honestly, like similar to you, I think, you know, be, thank God I've been able to travel. Like ever since then, I don't really get sad or depressed no more. Cause it's like, it's a check right away. It's like a reality check. Right away. Like, what am I complaining about? You know, I laugh at my, some of my problems here. Um, man, it's awesome to, you know, hear that. And like I said, thank you so much for, you know, what you're doing to the community down there, you know, especially to me, cause me being from that, I really, really like appreciate that. Um, man, shit, that's, that was really dope. That was really dope, man. Oh, uh, yo, congrats on the Richard Mill, by the way, we got to talk about some, now we talked about the deep, these stuff, let's talk about some materialistic stuff. How do you like your Richard Mill so far? It's good. It's in, it's in London at the moment. Um, so I only, I'm, I'm up in Manchester boxing for six weeks. Uh, one of my buddies is a professional boxer. So I only have one watch with me up here, but this is actually one of my favorites. Oh, nice. I was going to ask you, oh, is that the Snoopy one? Oh yes. The Snoopy Timex, the legendary Snoopy Timex right there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a watch. I'm a bit, yeah. a bit of a horology whore. So um, I like, <laughs> how'd you get into that? I'm curious. Um, so I don't remember what I, maybe I saw an ad or something like that, but I bought my first ever watch and I remember I saved up for a couple of weeks. It was a Timex expedition. Um, and I bought it when I was like eight or something. And this is from, a, I think they've shut down now, but it was a British like retail store called Argos. Um, so yeah, I remember I saved up and then I ended up going to Argos and like got it. It was like 25 pounds and like it had this like uh, the same light up feature. Um, and I just thought it was literally the, just the coolest thing ever. And um, yeah, I remember I wore that for like a solid four or five years. Um, I still have it now. Actually, I got it. I got it refurbed um, or a new, a new battery put in. But um, I don't know. Watches have just always been something that I've really appreciated. Um, and I'm just you know, I have a couple watch books on my, my coffee table and I flick through them and I just, I like to go through the reference numbers and, and the, the calibers and the movements. <laughs> and, uh, I especially like some of the histories between, uh, behind like certain models. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, it's become a hobby of mine. I was planning on going to Basel world this year, um, you know, uh, in, in Switzerland, but that, that kind of went to kind of went to shit. And, um, I think also for me, a watch always tells a story. Um, a watch always tells a story. Like, I mean, there's, I have certain pieces like this. This is just like, I like wearing this. This is actually one of my favorite watches. I like wearing this cause it, it brings out the child in me. Um, but most of my watches have a story uh, or memory behind them or meaning behind them. And, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, this, I don't know, there's something special about it to me. Right. To add on to that. All right. This is, this is a funny one. Would you ever, ever, ever buy a bust down watch? Funnily enough. Cause I mean, look at this point I have 14, 15 watches. Uh, There's one for the know. collection, you know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 uh, Richard Mill, Patex, uh, APs, uh, Rolexes, I'm about to get a, a Jaeger Lukut, uh, Grand Reverso. So I kind of, to be honest, I've got all your grail watches. I've got a, a Richard Mille. I've got a Nautilus, a, a Royal Oak, a Aqua, you know, everything, a Daytona, everything you could ever want. Um, and I've always been like, hell no to bust down watches, this, that. But one time actually I went into uh, AP and I would never get bust down aftermarket. Mm -hmm. Also like for me, the thing is, if I was actually to sell all my watches, I'd make around like 50 grand. Um, 
because you know I've built relationships with a lot of these brands and whatnot. Um, and you know, uh, most of the watches I have sell for above retail. Well, basically, every single watch I have sells for above retail. Um, so for me, also value is important. I guess that's one of the reasons I've spent a lot of money on watches, just because I'm like, eh, I'm not spending it. I'm just parking it here. Um, so yeah, I never get an aftermarket um, bust down. But one time I did go to uh, AP and I tried on a, it was their 39 millimeter jumbo, uh, Royal Oak. Uh, so it's like a little thinner and it was bust down. Um, and it was actually beautiful. I thought that would just like a, a gray hoodie, some black uh, trousers, some black shoes, like very like, minimal low key low key look but then with some ice on the wrist i think that maybe maybe like in the the next five watches i'll probably pick pick one up just because i I don't have one other than the timex which one's your favorite um i would say i would say one that i always forget how much i like is my rose gold aquanaut um, my Patek Philippe rose gold, rose gold Aquanaut. That is a beautiful, beautiful watch. Another one that I really wasn't expecting to like, uh, was the, I did, to be honest, I didn't even really want it. I just, cause I have a relationship, uh, with Rolex. I was like, what, okay, I'll get this. And then there's a couple watches I'll get after and this and that. Um, it's uh, the 60th anniversary Greendale, uh, day date. Um, I adore that watch. I think it's, it's amazing. And I really wasn't expecting to, um, Obviously, my RM, my RM30, rose gold, that's a great watch. Uh, especially, um, I have a red strap for it and a, a baby blue strap for it. So, it's, it's nice to swap those out. Um, let's see. The other, yeah, Daytona. The Nautilus is really nice. I, I, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned that one. I, I was about to say, the Nautilus gets basically zero wrist time. What? Uh, yeah, to us, because I, I, I have a steel uh, 5711 blue face Nautilus. Um, I don't know. To be honest, I'm actually just not really a, too much of a steel guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I, I want to get that watch in rose gold. I think maybe that might change my opinion on it. It's an amazing watch. I think maybe if I think what well, I will say, if I had only one watch ever, I think I'd take that. Um, it just doesn't get much wrist, uh, wrist time. That's an interesting statement for real then. Damn. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this next segment, uh, I'm going to ask you questions that, you know, some of the people that, I guess, follow you. I asked, I talked to some people, I asked them, Hey, what would you ask email? So these are just some questions that people are, you know, curious about. Uh, one is from all the mistakes that you learned from, what do you think is like one of the most important lessons that you've learned? Hmm. I mean, uh, it's so hard cause it's in yeah, <laughs> business and personal realm, but you can throw more than one, honestly. I don't mind. Look, I, I, I'd game. say one of, the, one of the main thing is in terms of work capacity, if you think you're doing too little, you're doing just the right amount. And that's something that people don't understand because like, people want to have this like hustle masculine energy. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a hustler. And it's just like, no, you don't walk into the gym and immediately, I'm, I'm going to speak in kilos because I don't know how, or pounds. It'd be like, you don't walk. I'm into Canadian, the gym. bro. We talking pounds. I mean, kilos too, I guess. Really? Okay, perfect. You know, <laughs> I, you know, you don't walk into the gym and immediately deadlift 220 kilos. You know, you, you know, you progressively overload to that point and it might take you years in the same way. You don't sit down at your desk and get straight to work and work eight hours, you know, with some breaks in between, but not less eight deep focus hours. Most people, 99% of people don't have that sort of work capacity. Their brain's been fried from all the dopamine hits from like, like from most people are used to like having their phone on a stand right here. They see all the notifications, their iPad right here, notifications on their, like most people don't literally have the neural pathways to work like that. So if you think you are doing, I would rather you work two hours phone on airplane mode somewhere else, focus on your phone, uh, focus on your computer, uh, which just, uh, you know, you can block uh, certain websites and stuff like that. Um, like YouTube, um, this, that, so you don't go on any of these while you're on a, uh, in a work block. I would rather you do two hours of that than eight hours of like the way that most people hustle and work and this and that. Um, so I would say work wise, that's probably the biggest thing is like, if you think like, if you feel as though you're doing too little, you're doing the, you're doing just the right amount, just as long as you're doing it every single day or every single day that you're meant to. I think people are sometimes too hard on themselves just because they're like, you know, comparing like, oh shit, got to make more money, this, that, or whatever. I think they got to definitely stop that. Um, next one is your favorite book or favorite books. I should say. I love to um, let's see uh, reality transurfing 
Um, that's a big one. Yeah, no, no, that, that, that's a that's a heavy read. So I, I would say easier one than that is Wave Superior Man. So Wave Superior Man, David Data, Reality Trans Surfing, um, Atlas Shrugged. Once again, a really a tough one. Um, and then outside of that, I'd say those are the main character building ones. Um, fuck, what's that? Uh, I read one on habits that I was like, one of my one atomic of my atomic habits. Yeah, atomic habits. Yeah, that's the one. One of my clients recommended it to me, and I'm like, dude, I've read 27 habit books. Like, I don't need to read another one. But it actually turned out to be amazing. So yeah, atomic habits is really solid. Do you actually like take the time to kind of like, you know, just explore the spiritual side or learn more about that side, you know, knowing that, I mean, your two favorite books are kind of in that space. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm very like, you know, I'm 70% practical, like 30% spiritual. And I think like you're a fool if you're just hundred percent in this like physical tangible, tangible world. And I also know people who are like, so like spiritual in this and that. And it's like, no, you, you can't live in like la la land. Like there's, you know, you got to bring that knowledge back into the real world. So I mean, I'm kind of like 70, 30 split. Lovely. Lovely. Uh, who's your favorite artist or artists for different Ooh. genres? I don't know. Okay. So if you had to give me a, I, if I can't give you, if you had to give me a top five in no particular order, mm-hmm. it would be, um, Amy Winehouse, Amy Winehouse, Stevie Wonder, Drake and then probably Lauren Hill and then honorary mention for Brent Files. Oh yeah. The the legendary ad man. I think everybody remembers that one. <laughs> How what's your favorite place that you traveled to? Um if you had to give me three either, um, and for very different purposes, um, Iceland, Iceland's my happy healing place. I'm actually going in two weeks. Um, Iceland, Cape town or Bali. Word, word. That's awesome. I'm definitely want to check out Cape town. How's the vibe down there? It's, it's good. It's like a, um, it's like a shittier, but better LA. Like, I just think LA is like, honestly, I think like, look, if you want a, a good LA amount of trash, LA is honestly just trash. Um, let, look, if you want, if you've got friends there and you want a good week, week or weekend of debauchery, fair enough. Like I understand, but like Cape town is first of all, so much cheaper. Um, you feel like you're in LA weirdly enough, especially like in the Hills and stuff like that. Like, I mean, you've got hills all around, uh, scenery is way better. Um, and just kind of all, like obviously beaches are way better. Um, basically everything is better except for clubbing and the girls. Word, word. Definitely got to check out Cape Town then. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur and having a program where you, or actually knowing a lot of your students are, I mean, all entrepreneurs and you interact with a lot of entrepreneurs. What are the common mistakes that you think is preventing a lot of entrepreneurs growth? Not... <laughs> let's see thinking too short term thinking too short term once again being too harsh on themselves in terms of exactly what i said like the, you know they'll want to do like the nine ten hour thing uh, and then not uh thinking uh, thinking too short term which obviously clouds your vision and then you end up you know screwing yourself in the long term uh and then outside of that i'd say cash flow. Like I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I've met who like, you know, and, and it, it's fine. Cause you know, these are like students of mine and you know, uh, or we'll have these conversations in private. They'll ask my advice or these are like actual buddies of mine. Um, and I find this more in like the internet marketing space, internet marketing slash agency owner, e-com biz owner, this sort of stuff who literally have no cash reserves. Like it's shocking. Like, like they have no cash reserves. They have no, like they're so bad at managing their cash flow. Um, so I'd say that's another thing that like I've seen that's been very like shocking to see. Right. I think started getting older. I realized how many people don't have a business just to hustle. You know what I mean? Real shit. Everything is all around the, uh, all around the world. Um, or the last one is your hobbies outside of business. So, um, cause I've had such a like crazy life. Um, so early on, like I always joke that like, 
I'm 20, so I, I have my midlife crises now. So like, <laughs> you know, obviously I'm in Manchester right now, boxing like twice a day um, for six weeks, you know, doing a, 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 a you know, what, one of my buddies is a professional boxer, um, 24 and two, a professional career. Um, he's fighting again for the, the championship uh, soon. So obviously, you know, that's quite like a wacky thing. Um, outside of that hobbies are watches. Uh, I really like film photography. Obviously, as I said, my, my background's in photo and video. So like film photography, old school, 35, um, and medium, uh, 35 mil and, and medium format, uh, film photography. Um, after this, I'm going to learn uh, how to DJ. Um, oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It was one of those. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, like, like I, I remember salsa, two years man. ago, two years ago, I learned how to salsa. Like, um, you know, I took salsa, salsa uh, lessons with my girlfriend at the time. Um, like th- this is a, actually one other huge thing that I, I really, Oh, biohacking is, is another very big hobby of mine. Like this is another thing that, um, is very, very important for entrepreneurs is have a bunch of hobbies on the side. You know, you sh- after 6, 7 p.m., I strongly recommend do not be wor- working on your business. Have hobbies, have interests on the side. Like if you can take that same passion and creative flow and apply that to uh, other really cool hobbies in your life, I think that's super important. Like that's, you know, I remember even 2019, that's a mistake that I made beginning of 2019, like the first five, four or five months of the year, I was such a robot. Yes, I still have my biohacking hobbies and this and that, but I was like, ah, but that's because that helps work. I realized like over the years, I've kind of come to realize that you, it's really important that you do have those things in your life where there's literally no ROI. It kind of doesn't make sense. There's really like, you're not going to benefit from it from like a financial or business perspective at all. You just do it because it's like, if it, you know, it's a creative outlet and you just feel really happy while you're doing it. That's lovely, man. That's lovely. Oh man, I'm excited to see you DJ for real, bro. <laughs> Let me tell you that, that, that came out of nowhere, bro. I sort of guys should see my reaction. I, I can't wait to see that. But uh, man, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, g- giving so many insights and just talking on this podcast. I mean, I think before we leave, the last thing I guess I want to ask is uh, what's next for Grow Your Agency and Iman Godsey? Can't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Top secret. Top secret. Lovely, lovely, man. Awesome. Thank you so much again for coming on, bro. Anything else you want to say before we leave? No, I appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, asking me some solid questions. I think this has been like 50 minutes or something. It's felt like five. Lovely, lovely. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. That is it for this episode of Keeping It Real, everybody. And if you guys did enjoy this episode, I just ask for a small favor, and that is to share this with someone that you know would benefit from this podcast, as I really want to grow this community and this podcast through word of mouth, right? From you guys sharing it or telling someone to mess with this podcast or listen to this podcast or posting us on Instagram. And by the way, guys, if you do post us on Instagram, please use the hashtag keeping it real and tag me at splashman pb just so i can see it just so i can you know stay connected with the family and interact with some of you guys but yeah like i said if you guys want to keep in touch with me my instagram is at splashman pb if you guys want to check out my youtube where i drop amazing content and amazing value as well you know just search my name rick shit and my channel will appear but anyways guys hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and i will see you in the next one bye bye